Well, good morning. Everybody's awake, I can tell. You're just so excited. And uh, it's encouraging to be with you, to be able to study the Word of God. Let's uh, be turning to Psalms 1. We're going to be doing most all of our study from Psalms uh, today in a little bit of a different way, but I certainly hope it will be uh, profitable to all of us. So just mark your Bibles there, and that will benefit us. Several years ago, in fact, if this name rings the bell, you're probably dating yourself quite a bit, so you might not want to raise your hand and say, hey, I remember that personally. There was a man by the name of Natan Sharansky. And Natan Sharansky was what is called a Soviet Jew. And he was very outspoken against an oppressive regime at that time. And the regime, of course, as you might imagine, was... Uh, very socialistic in its philosophy, uh, also very oppressive of those who might speak out like Natan Sharansky did. I believe it was on the eve or right after of his marriage or his wedding ceremony to his wife that uh, they came and they took Natan Sharansky and imprisoned him in 1977. And so he was imprisoned for his speaking out for freedom and for liberty, especially as you might think of religious freedom and religious liberty. As he was imprisoned, he had gotten his wife to smuggle in a copy of the Psalms. He later on in 1986 was released and he wrote a book that was entitled Fear No Evil. You can imagine what that book would have been about. And he talks about this experience. And so his wife had, had smuggled in a copy, of a Hebrew copy of the Psalms. Now I understand he was not a Christian, but he certainly did believe in Old Testament Scripture. And we would pray that he would see in that Old Testament Scripture prophecy about Jesus and come to believe in Jesus. But nonetheless, it is a powerful illustration. Finally, in 1986, he is released and on his way out, if you can just imagine, very cold, snow everywhere. He falls down in the snow and demands, because they had confiscated this copy of Hebrew Scripture at some point during his time in prison. He demands that that be returned to him, that copy of the Hebrew Scripture. And when he writes his book entitled Fear No Evil, there's a great line in it in which he says that the Psalms had actually enabled him to maintain independence against the kingdom of lies. That's his quote. When I read that, I thought, what a powerful statement that is. And that while we understand we are under the New Covenant, you can't read the New Testament without seeing the illusions of the Old Testament, the prophecies of the Old Testament, even the instruction of the Old Testament. And again, although we are under the new covenant, you'll remember passages like Romans 15 in verse 4 that those things that were written in the past, those things that were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. When Paul writes to Timothy and he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. He's actually, in that context, I think, talking about 
Old Testament scripture for the most part. Certainly that would apply to New Testament scripture as well. When he speaks of the Holy Scripture that had led Timothy through the teaching of his mother and grandmother to come to faith in Jesus Christ, what scripture did Timothy have access to as a child? But the Old Testament, the Old Testament scripture. The Psalms are powerful. And I'm not saying this is the only way to look at the Psalms, that what we're going to talk about is the only way to organize the Psalms in our study. I think it is a significant way to look at it. And I believe actually as we look at different categories of the Psalms, what we're going to see is really the walk of faith. We're talking about living this new life in Christ. And sometimes we tend to have not necessarily all of us, but, but some do have a rather superficial, shallow view of what it means to have faith. And the Psalms help us a great deal. And so it would be sad if we did not tap into the power of these inspired scriptures that not only lead us to faith in Jesus Christ, of course, uh, but go even in another area of our life and helping us understand the nature of faith. And so that's what we're going to do this morning as we think about the Psalms. So when you think about the power of the Psalms, and we just consider different ways we might look at the Psalms, we might ask, well, what are the Psalms? The Jews had, I believe, five books instead of one, but we have all of the Psalms there in our Bible. And some have described the Psalms in, a, in different ways. Some say, well, you know, when I look at the Psalms... <laughs> They called it the songbook of Israel. And you can understand why they would call it that. I mean, there are, and we'll even touch on some of these today, but many wor very worshipful uh, psalms rejoicing in the majesty and greatness of God. Many of our hymns that we sing come from the psalms. And so certainly when you look at the psalms, there is a sense of it being the songbook of Israel and of God's people. But then others have said, well, when I, I look at the Psalms, I see the mirror of the soul. And, and, and really, these are all phrases that I've seen people use that I think are beneficial. In fact, these last three descriptions, notice them. The mirror of the soul or dialogue with God or a picture of life unfiltered. And let, let me kind of talk about that with you for just a minute. When you think about the mirror of the soul, because the Psalms focus on the Word of God and the power of the Word of God to shape our lives and to change our lives. It is a mirror of the soul. And one of the great testimonies, certainly not the only testimony, but one of the great testimonies to the inspiration of the Scripture and of the Bible that we have are the very things that we know to be true about all Scripture, especially the Psalms. And that is... Even, you know, you think among the, the greatest men and women of God, the Holy Spirit does not spare us those times, those dark times in their lives. And when we think of David and we think of David and Goliath and we see David as we should as a great hero of, of faith, an example of, of powerful trust in God. And we read what he wrote and the heart he had for God. And, and as we read scripture, we know that he's a man after God's own heart. And yet, 
We're not spared from that very dark time when he made heinous decisions, didn't he? And decisions that really did affect his life. And if you ever want to see a dysfunctional family, you can look at David's family, can't you? And you think about the disloyal act against God, against his own people, the scandalous thing he did, the, the impact that would have in the lives of Absalom and Amnon. You have uh, the child that was lost as, an, as a consequence of his sin. I mean, we could go on and on. And yet we know David was transformed and he repented. And we can read about that confession in the Psalms, by the way. And we can look at Peter, which we will, Lord willing, today. And we see his challenges. So the Bible doesn't spare us of that. It is a mirror of the soul. It, we also see dialogue with God. And we're going to really touch on this in just a few minutes. But the Psalms reveal to us the struggle of those who are striving to live by faith. And if our notion is that believers never have any questions, that they never have any doubts, that they never have any struggles. The Psalms themselves disabuse us of that thought. And that's just not a realistic picture. And I think sometimes great damage can be done when people are struggling and they do have questions and they do have doubts. If they've come to believe, if you ever have a question, then you must not be walking by faith. And we'll speak to that in just a few minutes as we read the Psalms. And yes, it's a picture of life unfiltered. We get to see the, the raw human experience, but we also see the power of God's majesty in making us into the people that he would like for us to be. And so the Psalms have some different perspectives. Now, they are inspired of God. They are God-breathed. But we also see in these Psalms the human experience in its interaction with divinity. With God. And so what we have in the Psalms is not the ignoring, not the ignoring of struggle, not the ignoring of questions, but but this struggle to understand God in the midst of a very broken and sinful and corrupt world comes to the forefront. Now, just about every emotion that you could possibly imagine is seen in the Psalms if you'll think about it. It gives expression to nearly every emotional experience we can consider. We see assurance on one hand. There are psalms that really speak to the assurance and confidence of God. But then we also see questions. And let me say this. Every faithful prophet I can think of and you can think of had his questions. Now they always came back to the Lord. Isaiah cried out to God. Ezekiel cried out to God. Even the faithful in the book of Revelation cried out to God. How long, O Lord? So if it is a sin to cry out, how long, O Lord? Then we have all of these examples of the faithful of God. And the Bible never identifies that as, as sin so long as we are seeking the Lord. Now, if someone is just looking for a reason to not believe, and they're just fabricating or manufacturing or holding on to doubts so they cannot believe because they've already decided that faith is not what they want to have. That would be one thing. But let me ask you this. If you're dealing with someone 
that is an absolute unbelief say they've embraced atheism. To get somebody from that point of absolute unbelief to the point of a strong faith, what has to happen? You don't just jump from absolute unbelief to strong faith. They have to ask questions. They have to have some doubts. And they work through those to the point of faith. See? So doubt could often, when we think of doubt, we, we see the very negative context and I understand why, because often there are people who have departed from God and they start saying, well, I have some doubts. But there, there is a sense in which it can enrich our faith. And so we have assurance and doubt and joy and despair and devotion and even, I think, frustration. You know, there is a righteous anger. And I don't think when we look at the world and it brings to our minds Righteous anger and frustration. I don't think the Lord's upset with us. Don't you think that he has righteous anger and frustration with the way humanity behaves itself? And so the Psalms swallow doubt. Now they don't ignore doubt. They, they swallow doubt in this avalanche of praise to God. And I think that's so important. Just that right there is a great lesson for us as parents teaching our children, that we don't ignore questions. We embrace them. And yes, are there things that transcend my human comprehension and anybody else's human comprehension? Sure. But I'm talking about in those areas of things that have been revealed by God, those are things we grow and learn. But we don't ignore them. We embrace faith in God. So here's what I want to do today. We are going to look at three categories that, that have been described. This is not original with me, by the way. Have been described as Psalms. You're going to think Bruce is too early for that kind of language. Okay. Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of new orientation. Everybody with me? Just shake your head. It'll make me feel good. Okay. Okay. So... Psalms of orientation. I'm going to describe all these categories and when we describe them, of course, we're all going to go, yeah, you know, I've been through that. Psalms of orientation describe that initial stage of faith that we have to have. In fact, it's a very important foundational stage of faith. It's not the only stage of faith, but it is foundational. And many of the Psalms that we think of that probably uh, some of our hymns have been based on and they're beautiful and they declare God's majesty and, and we think of worshiping and praising God fall into this category. Not all, but many. And probably a lot of people, if I started mentioning certain Psalms, at least many of the Psalms they maybe have, have really related to might be in this category. And they really describe when we first learn about God. You know, when you first start learning about who God is, maybe you were very young and maybe you were older, depending on what your background was. But when you first start learning about God, and we do this, nothing wrong with this, we start studying the attributes of God. And we can find that these attributes are all part of God's divine personality. And so we think of God's knowledge, we think of God's wisdom, we think of God's love and his mercy and his grace and his holiness and his righteousness 
And, and those are things we need to talk about. And often in this initial stage of faith, things come across in a very concrete way. And maybe struggles, not so much a part of these Psalms, is just getting that foundational understanding of God. If you look at Psalms 1, that's a good example of what I'm talking about. And there are many of these, but I want you to notice, and, and certainly these Psalms are absolutely true, but usually this category of Psalms, if you back away and look at it in the very big picture, that tends to be what they're looking at. In other words, those who are good and faithful are blessed. Those who are not good and are wicked and unfaithful, they will be punished. Now, in the, in, the, in the larger scale of things, is that true? Well, of course it's true. We know there will be a final judgment and God will judge both the righteous and the wicked and He'll reward the righteous and He'll punish the wicked. And there are a lot of passages that speak to that. And we have to understand that. That's the big picture. Are there times in life in which people make Wicked choices, and there's actually earthly consequences for those choices right now that you can see. Yes. Does that happen to every wicked person in the immediate? Now, it will in eternity, but does it happen in the immediate? Hang on to that. We'll be back there in just a minute. What I want us to see in Psalms 1 is just the nature of this. Notice verse 1. How blessed is the man or who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are, they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. That's absolutely true. Is that always our immediate experience though? I know it will be in eternity but is that what everybody experiences right now? Again, we'll come back to that thought. This is a psalm of orientation just that foundational understanding of good and bad, and who God is, and who the world is. And everything seems very orderly in this particular psalm. So when we look at psalms of orientation, they tend to, they tend to reflect this very confident belief, you know, everything is like it's supposed to be. And so you think of God's creation. So we just read in Psalms 1, the wicked will be punished. The good will be rewarded. Let me show you another psalm that, by the way, is quoted quite a bit in the New Testament. Psalms 8. Psalms 8. The first verse. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. He goes on and talks about how glorious God is. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the angels and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over all the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens and the 
fish of the sea and whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Our, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. And I'd be happy to give you these notes, but let me just give you several Psalms. Psalms 1 and 8 and 14, 33, 37, 104, 111, 112, 119, 131, 133, 145. Don't panic. We're not doing verse by verse on Psalms 119 today. But that it's a wonderful psalm, isn't it? It talks about the word of God in, in just about every way you could possibly imagine. They tend to reflect this initial stage of, of faith where everything seems like it's in the right spot. It's a necessary step of faith, but it can't be the end of faith. Because if it is, we're rather short-sighted. Now let me tell you what happens if you just stay in that stage of faith. That everything seems quite orderly. There is this thing called suffering. And loss. And grief. And anguish. And then all at once, life doesn't so much feel like everything's in place. I mean, we know in eternity, it all comes out as God has promised. And all of these psalms are absolutely true. But you know, there are some other psalms that give some balance to this. So yes, this is an important stage of faith. Everything seems very orderly. Even when we feel like things are disorderly or disoriented, Yes, there's a, there's a real sense in which we make the point, in the Bible we make the point that God reigns and He rules. So even when we're very disoriented down here, God has His eternal purpose. That's one of the great points in the book of Revelation, I think. Down here on earth, everything feels very disoriented, doesn't it? And Christians are, are suffering, but God is still ruling and God is still reigning. And those who were martyrs and those who were struggling and those who were going through pain and persecution and difficulty, God assures them, eventually you'll be vindicated. Eventually you'll be reigning with Christ. By the way, not down on the earth, but in a spiritual sense, we reign with Christ. But then there are, and this is really where we want to focus some of our attention. There is a sense in which there's this stage of disorientation. Let me describe these. This feels very different than what I just described. These psalms reflect brokenness. These psalms reflect a savage type of world because sin has entered the world. You know, this all fits because when you think about the very beginning, it was all good. There wasn't suffering and pain and grief and anguish. But then Adam and Eve opened the door to sin to come into the world. And that's that struggle we, we deal with. And so there are Psalms that speak of those who are very disoriented in their faith and they're still believers. This didn't happen to me last night at the Westbrooks. But... Have you ever been on the road somewhere? Maybe you're in a motel and you wake up in the middle of the night and just for a little bit in your mind, you feel like you're still at home and you're going, no, we do not know what you're talking about. Well, it's happened to me. 
So you just, just your normal customary, what you feel like. So you, you go to find the light switch. Maybe you're going to go to the bathroom and, and, and there's a light switch and you go, uh-oh, <laughs> I, I can't find this light switch. And in that moment, you're very disoriented. And then it dawns on you, wait a minute, I'm not at home, I'm in a motel room. And so then you start searching and you, once you turn the light on, now you're, you're, you have a new orientation. But before that, you're very disoriented. So when I talk about there's a stage of faith where you're still a, a believer in the Lord, but you're going through grief. Emotionally, you feel disoriented. You've been hurt. You feel disoriented. It doesn't mean you have deficient faith. And so, by the way, most of the Psalms are Psalms of laments. That is, they fall into this category of someone who's disoriented in grief or pain or confession of their own sin or disappointment in themselves. Every time, Psalms 32, Psalms 51, where you have a psalm of confession of sin, you see that sense of dis being disoriented but wanting to come back to God. But there's other times in which there's not been a sin, but someone, David's crying out from the depths of his heart. Do you realize, and I'm sure you do, that one of the great messianic psalms that Jesus references on the cross is a psalm of lament. It is a psalm of disorientation, not a deficiency of faith. Now, my personal conviction is it is true that Jesus was experiencing a great psychological and emotional aloneness as he continued to be in fellowship with God. But if you look at that whole context, what was it the Jews thought? What were those Jewish leaders saying? They were saying, look, if he's really the son of God, we couldn't put him on a cross. He'd come down off the cross. Isn't that what they said? And what's interesting is often... Yes, Jesus quotes Psalms 22.1, but he's not just referencing Psalms 22.1. The Jews in their studies often would reference a, a, an earlier verse for the whole context. Go read the whole 22nd Psalm. And it speaks of this is, this is how I feel. That, not that they, David never had the thought that when he cried out from the depths of his heart necessarily that even when he says, God, you've hidden your face from me, that somehow he had no relationship with God at all. But he felt alone. Haven't you felt alone before? Jesus, when he references Psalms 22, though, sometimes we don't read verse 24. Verse 24 says, God does not abhor the prayer of the afflicted. And so if you read all of Psalms 22, it is a rebuke of those who were trying to argue that, that they were doing something to Jesus they could never do to the Messiah because what they weren't seeing was Jesus voluntarily remained on that cross. But that's a psalm of lament. Let me show you, there are several psalms, but let's look at Psalms 13. Let's just read a few of these psalms of disorientation. The 13th psalm. Verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? 
How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Now there's, with one exception, I think it's Psalms 88 that seems to be all disorientation. Most of the psalm, most all the rest of the psalms that I know of, where you see someone going through this kind of stage of faith and struggle, tend to always come back to the next stage we're going to talk about. They come out of it, but they don't ignore it. Verse 3 says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, and lighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. He talks about his adversaries, but then look at verse 5. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. See how he's coming out of it? So yes, I'm suffering, I'm disoriented, I'm hurting, I'm in pain. Lord, help me. How long will I go through this? But there's reliance on the Lord even in your time of being disoriented. You're not turning away from the Lord. Well, I mentioned to you Psalms 22. Let's come on to, of course, there's Psalms 32, a confession of sin. There's Psalms 51. We can look at several Psalms, but I want you to come to the 130th Psalm, and we're probably going to be back here in just a minute. Psalms 130. Psalms 130. Out of the depths, I cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of of my supplications. Now he goes on to talk about the loving kindness. And by the way, that word, Hesed, is God's, we sing that song, I think we sang it yesterday about God's faithful love, God's steadfast love, God's covenant faithfulness. That's the idea of that. So what does this mean? Well, when you read these psalms of disorientation, if you're struggling, they help you, but they tend to make some of us very uncomfortable. And while in our worship as God's people and the fellowship of God's people, we need to praise God and glorify in God. We don't need to pretend there's no struggle. It's not a sin to cry out to God in righteous anger or frustration. Because what happens is that leads us to a deeper understanding of who he is. I promise you, if you've lost somebody very close to you, somebody who had a tremendous influence on your life, who's a faithful Christian and you've lost them, and you've gone through that grief. And you've had to work through that grief. And it's hard work. But if you do that, you will be stronger. You will be more compassionate than you would have been had you not gone through that. My mother passed away in 2017. She had uh, worked as Vice President of First Security Bank there in Conway, Arkansas, where we are. And she retired. And she started, we thought at first, maybe she had Parkinson's or something like that. Her, her hands would shake. She would cry, but she wasn't sad. 
<laughs> I don't know why I'm crying. And she ended up having uh, two very rare uh, neurological diseases that, uh, and I'm not even going to try to say the whole thing because I probably will get it wrong. Nuclear palsy, I know, was one, and I can't remember the other's official designation. But she quickly lost her, her ability to be mobile and to walk and move. She was confined to a bed for about two years. My dad and others, professionals, took care of her. My wife, Rachel, helped take care of her. And eventually she passed away, but I'll never forget one of our elders, Brother Kevin Sams, um, called me. He had lost his mom several years before, and, and he said, I know this is terrible what you're going through right now. But he said, you will have, not that you were trying not to be compassionate before, but he said, you will be able to counsel and to help people that have lost someone like their, their mom or their dad in a way in the future that you never dreamed you could have before. Grief brings disorientation. Our Lord understands that. He's not mad at me for that. He knows that. He's there for me. He wants me to work through it. He wants my faith to develop. Now, he has greater reasons, such as free will and other things for allowing the things, and we could talk about that, but that's not really the, the point here. We have a place in Scripture. We have a place in the Word of God. We even have a place in our fellowship with one another and our worship assembly for the penitent and for the broken and for the hurting and for the pain-stricken. We find that in Scripture. And for the person who's going through the pain of a broken relationship or the loss of a dear loved one or a miscarriage or the disappointment of tribulation or sorrow over their own past sins of which they've now repented, but still they have to deal sometimes with shame or guilt as they continue to trust the Lord. Remember, God's heart breaks over sorrow. He just has some tremendous reasons for allowing it for eternity. He has no intention of leaving you in that place. And the Psalms and Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, show us that. In fact, Peter speaks of faith as going through this heated fire. And he says what happens is the undesirable elements are eliminated. And when, when, the, when you see it come out on the other side, it's gold that has been refined by fiery tribulation. He says it's more precious than anything you could imagine. He is the rock of our refuge. Come to Psalm 73. Remember when we read from Psalms 1? Well, let's balance it out just a, just a tad. Psalm 73. I just want you to mark your Bibles there. I'll be there in just a moment. So we have these Psalms of disorientation. There's many that we can look at. We're going to get to Psalm 73 because it's going to help put some context on this. But let's move to that next stage. And we have Psalms to talk about this too. So we have Psalms of that initial orientation. We always hang on to that foundation. 
but it, it becomes enriched over a period of time. And then we have these many psalms of lament and disorientation. Somebody's still believing and trusting, but they're struggling, right? And, and there's many, many psalms uh, that would fall into that category. I want to make sure that we appreciate that. That's my first bell in there. But then you'll see these psalms of, of new orientation. So it doesn't deny the struggle. But what happens in this is the pit, as the psalmist describes it, is not the end of life. God doesn't leave us in the pit. We may go down into the pit, but He doesn't leave us there. And these psalms reflect surprising new possibilities after the struggle, after the, the trial. As I described from, from 1 Peter 1, 6-9 through 9, and coming out on the other side and being enriched and understanding all this is part of faith. The foundational orientation of who God is, that's part of faith. Going through your struggle and your grief and your pain, that's part of faith. Coming out on the, on the other side and being enriched and stronger, that's an important part of faith. And we see these psalms, some very familiar psalms. I'll come back to the 73rd Psalm in just a minute. But one of the most well-known Psalms, if I said, okay, what's in, all around the world, what is the most well-known Psalm that you see? You see it everywhere. You see it on coffee cups. And what is it? 23, Psalms 23. But think about how that Psalm works. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He talks about making me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. But listen, so that's kind of psalm of, of orientation. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. By the way, you can apply that to your actual death, but that's not the primary point there, even though I guess that would be included. That's talking about life. That's talking about going down into the, the pit of trials and difficulty. And so, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what would that be? Well, that sounds like disorientation. But he says, though that happens, he comes up on the other side and he says, my cup overruns. I dwell in the presence of God. Now, I do think there's some allusion there to our eternal hope. But my point is, and by the way, this is what you see from the incarnation of Christ. Now, so stay with me for a minute. Jesus in the glories of heaven, he remains to be the son of God, but he comes down here and he suffers and then he comes back up and he's exalted. That's Philippians 2, 5 through 11. That is the pathway to victory. And so when you look at, at these Psalms, Psalms 23, Psalms 27, we could go on 40 and 65 and 100 and 103 and 113. That's what you see, somebody coming out stronger and better. That's the new orientation. Okay, now, there's two passages we're going to hit before we're, we're done, and then I'll, I'll close some things up. Psalm 73, ASAP. ASAP kind of balances Psalms 1 where we see, yes, in eternity, Psalms 1's absolutely right. The good will be rewarded and the wicked will be punished. But look at Psalm 73. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. I almost lost my faith. Well, what did he do? Well, he did what we often do. He says, I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. They look like things are going quite well. The wicked are, it doesn't look like majority consensus here that the wicked are suffering a whole lot. It does look like the righteous are suffering a whole lot. 
which seems backwards when you compare it to the first psalm. Come on with me to verse 13. He says, you know, if I kept my, my heart pure for no good reason, then come down to verse 16. He says, I tried to understand this. It was troublesome. It was, I like the King James, it was too painful for me. I couldn't figure it out because he wasn't putting God into the equation. Look at verse 22. He says, I was acting like an animal. I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. What happened? Verse 17. He says, then I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I went and worshiped God. I was disoriented, entirely disoriented. But I went and worshipped God. I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I understood therein. Then I remembered Psalms 1. And just because it's not right here in the immediate doesn't mean that's not the way it is. And then look at Psalms 30. We're going to do a little practice run here before we're done. Psalms 30. Psalms 30. All right, so I'm going to get us going. Verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and you have not let my enemies rejoice over me. I think that's, that's that reorientation, that new orientation. He's been through some things. Look at verse 6. This is what he initially was saying. Now as for me, I said in my heart, I will never be moved. What, what stage might that be? That's right, that initial orientation. I'm good, I got this. He says, Oh Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. But then he says, You hid your face. I was dismayed. What, what stage is that? Disorientation, isn't it? He says, What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? He's not being unfaithful to the Lord. He's saying, If, if this happens, how's this going to work? He's very disoriented. Look at verse 11. You have turned, well, let's look at 10. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me, O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. That's new orientation. We'll stop right there. Thank you.